Girl Tries Life podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and I am your host. Now, today on the podcast, I am so, so pleased to be joined by my good friend and mentor, Jocelyn Daw. Before we get to her interview and a little bit about her bio, I just wanted to let you know that Girl Tries Life is officially part of the Alberta Podcast Network. So what does that mean? What does the Alberta Podcast Network mean? It's really just this network of local podcasts throughout the province, and they cover all sorts of fascinating topics. So I want to tell you about one of them. I got to meet this podcast creator, Terrence, in person. He has the Work Not Work show on iTunes and all the other platform networks, whatnot. And the way Terrence described it to me when he was pitching the podcast is that it was about interviewing people that had those dream jobs. Like think of like an astronaut and a film director and an artist, the jobs that we dreamed of but thought were kind of impossible, asking people how they got those jobs and then how it's actually impacted their life and what it's meant to them. And he absolutely raves about it. I've listened to a couple of the episodes and adored it. So I have linked it in today's show notes. Today's show notes are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 41 because we're on episode 41. Now, the other thing to know about the Alberta Podcast Network is that it is powered by ATB. Now, there's many things I could tell you about ATB, but the one thing I want to start with is I interview a lot of entrepreneurs and people who have either recently started businesses or started them many years after, you know, into their careers. The idea that ATB has this entrepreneur center, they've got one both in Calgary and one in Edmonton. The idea that they have this entrepreneur center that allows entrepreneurs to get access to information and resources uh, is phenomenal. They can obviously ATB can help you with their banking, but they also offer these workshops and networking opportunities, and they can even help set you up with a mentor. So if you're not as lucky as I am to have phenomenal mentors around you, this is a great way to find a mentor in entrepreneurship specifically. So I highly recommend that you check that out. It's at atbentrepreneurcenter.com. And if you're ever just confused because entrepreneur can be hard to spell, atb.com. <laughs> so uh, yeah, heading on to today's episode, we are joined by my good friend, Jocelyn Dom. So Jocelyn and I started working together, ooh, it's probably going on six years ago, possibly more, six or seven years ago, because uh, Jocelyn was doing consulting in community investment. That was my area of work at the time, and she was a subject matter expert, and we were wanting to really make our community investment portfolio the best it could possibly be. So if you're in Calgary, the person that you call is Jocelyn. But I got to know her more than as just a coworker and a consultant in this kind of context. She ended up coming to our welcome to Canada, by the way, we got married party. Yes, that's actually what we called it when my husband came to the country. And I I have just enjoyed our friendship ever since. So Jocelyn has had a number of fascinating jobs throughout her career. She's been an executive director and worked with Parks Canada and Imagine Canada and Glembo and so many more before starting up her own consultancy, JS Dot and Associates. She's also the author of two books. And so I will link to those in the show notes, which are again, girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash four one. So without further ado, let's head on over to the interview. (music) 
Thank you so much, Jocelyn, for joining me on the podcast. The reason we are laughing, listeners, is that Jocelyn has just recorded a previous podcast with me for the organization that I work for, but I am so impressed by everything that she does that I wanted to have her on the Girl Tries Life podcast. So thanks for joining me. Back to back, Jocelyn. And thank you. And I love following your blogs and your podcasts. And I just so admire everything you're doing on that. It's amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Well, from the bio, <laughs> I'm sure people can tell you've had a very varied career and done and done so much. And I'm so curious that when you graduated university, what did you anticipate your career path being? You know, it's it's so interesting that you asked that because I, I when I was a university student, I worked every summer for Parks Parks Canada as a guide, an interpretive guide at various national parks and national historic sites across Canada. So when I first graduated, I actually worked for the National Museums in sort of the education field. And then when I got married, I moved from Ottawa to Peterborough, Ontario, and the second largest field station in our national park system is actually the Trent Seven Waterway. So they hired me to work with them. So I always assumed that I'd be working in this space of kind of museums and cultural institutions, which, which I have done a lot of work in. But I, when I look back and thinking about the questions, what I really see is that my career is all being all about innovation and collaboration. And that's been sort of the thread through everything I've done. But I started in that sort of cultural space and then I've continued, I've worked for, and I've worked in all three sectors. I've worked for government, I've worked in the nonprofit sector, I've worked in the corporate sector. But that's been kind of my, my thread. Did I have a clear plan? Not really, but, uh, but I, I just assumed that's what would be what I would continue to do. But life has a way of taking you down different paths. Sometimes you're, you're in a position where that's what needs to happen. Sometimes it, you just kind of fall in it. So I guess I originally thought my path would be working in that kind of cultural institution space. But I think the reality is even though that was where I started, the common thread from every place that I worked has been innovation and collaboration. And what was it that you studied? I did Canadian studies. I did a okay. at uh, Trent University in Peterborough. And uh, this was like I started and I, I actually spent a year studying French at the University of Brussels and, and then uh, went to Trent University. It's a small university that really was a leader in terms of interdisciplinary studies. And I, when I was considering it, you know, I was looking at, oh, do I want to study French? Do I want to study history? Do I want to study English? And I realized that I wanted to do that all. So how could I do sort of more of an interdisciplinary course uh, and so that's why I decided to to come to Trent plus one of my best friends had gone there and just so was an advocate for it I just thought it would be good and I loved the idea of going to a small university yeah did you have the pressure from your parents at that time that your degree needed to be like an employable degree <laughs> well my both my parents my father is an engineer so they're ridiculously practical and uh, my mother's an economist. She's a, it's, it's still social science. And my father always felt, you know, if you didn't do science, my God, you know, you'd never get a life. And so, but he never, he never saw that I was interested in math and science. So I think he, 
both my parents were like, do what you, what you're passionate about. But I, I don't think they held up much hope for me, but, <laughs> but they did allow me to, to do that. But, um, you know, I think, I mean, my father's passed away now, but by the time he passed away, he realized that science, in fact, was not the only path or engineering was not the only path that you actually could not only create an interesting life for yourself, but actually really add value to society in a way that he maybe hadn't thought about. Yeah. Well, I think you've done all right for yourself. <laughs> and it, but it's, it's interesting because I know so many parents nowadays that are struggling with what advice yeah. to give their, their kids who are off to university because it's yeah. what are the jobs of the, the technology is changing so fast. We don't really know what the jobs yeah. will be. No, and I think it is about passion. And, and when you're passionate, you want to learn and you'll teach yourself whatever it takes to be able to do what you want to do. Yeah. So one of your early jobs, yeah. uh, you began a role as an executive director with Parks yeah. Canada. And you would have been pretty young. This was only about 10 years after graduating university. Yeah. So did you feel confident going into that role at that age? I thought I could, I, it was a big job, but I, I never second guessed myself. Yeah. I have to say, I think one of my strengths is I am an innovative thinker. And, you know, this was creating an organization from scratch. So there was a million ways that could have been done. And, you know, there was what I would call the traditional way, you know, do some workshops for your, because it was executive director of all of the friends groups across Canada. And so, you know, we could have done the simple approach of do an annual conference and write a newsletter. And we did all, did all that. And it was mostly me. And then we did have other staff members join me. But, you know, I felt there could have been so much more. So this is where we came up with this innovative cause marketing and, national events and national programs and so I, I I guess I just felt I I and you know what sometimes you don't know what you don't know and when you're young you're enthusiastic and you're sort of ignorant so you don't know the problems I might have been more nervous about it today than I would have been back then but uh, I felt I could do it do you know I mean I am not surprised at all because there are so many women I mean, I know in Calgary who are executive directors that are in their 30s, early 40s, and I'm so impressed by the work that they do yeah. um, and how they, how they handle themselves. What advice would you give to women who are looking to take on leadership positions at, at that kind of age? Yeah, uh, well, I think it's, um, you know, it goes back to the discussion we had in our last podcast, which <laughs> is, you know, surround yourself with people who are going to help you be successful and listen to them and get their support and help. And uh, don't think you have to do everything and that you have to be good at everything. I think that's something that, you know, you asked me what I wish I'd known when I started that job that I know today, which is I don't have to do everything. And that it's in fact better when you bring and engage others because you're, you're spreading a sense of ownership and a sense of, of involvement uh, beyond yourself because if it's only you you're never going to be successful yeah so it's it's about you know creating networks building partnerships building relationships that are going to help you advance the work but you also have to remember it can't be one-sided there has to be something in it for the other side too yeah and that goes for whatever kind of leadership position that you're taking on yeah. so it's such great advice yeah 
So you, you worked with organizations for significant periods of time, whether it was Parks Canada or, yeah. uh, or Imagine Canada or the Glembo. At what stage did you decide that you wanted to start your own business? Like, was that ages before you actually did it? Or did you decide you wanted to do it and you, you did it right away? So I, I, after I wrote my first book, which came out in 2006, I started to think, well, maybe I should you know, think about starting my own business, but I didn't feel I was quite ready. And I accepted the job at Imagine Canada, which was really such a great thing that I did because that was, you know, sort of lucky, good luck and some good management, but which is all about life, right? But it gave me that national connection. And I, as you might know, oversaw the Imagine Caring Company program. I was involved in community engagement in that. And so I was able to work beyond just Calgary, but work nationally. And I made so many contacts and, you know, had so many interesting experiences and learned so much. And then in 2009, I was starting to write my second book. And I just had written my first book when I was working full time and honestly, it just about killed me. And my <laughs> husband said to me, and I was 55 at this point, and, I, and my husband said, well, why don't you take time off and write your book and I'll support you. And, um, and Imagine Canada was so supportive of um, me writing that book on branding and uh, they helped me out with some of that too. And then I decided uh, I would take four months off and finish writing my book, which was uh, uh, optimistic. It took me longer than that. but uh, And then I really decided that I wanted to start my own business. And I was very fortunate in that Encana at the time was splitting into two companies, Synovus and, and Encana. And Synovus, I had got to know them really well through my work at Imagine, came to me and said, we're setting up a community investment program from scratch. Can you come and help us? with?" And that's Vicki Reed. Mm -hmm. Big, huge kudos to Vicki. A number of Lynn Douglas, you know, come and help us. So I did that. And, and then I also finished writing the book. And so that just was a sort of a great launching pad. And then I, once I finished, that was a year long contract. I, the phone just started to ring. So I felt that I had enough really deep, meaningful experience that was different than lots of people had that really could add value. That's what I'm interested in. I often see young people starting their own consulting firms and I think, well, I don't know, I don't think I could have given as good advice as I give now, given all of the experience that I've had. And, you know, I'm not saying that young people can't because lots of them can, but I felt I could really. And then having written two books and having worked, you know, in such a broad range of things, I felt I could really bring a different way of looking and a lot of deep experience to help them advance their work. And I'll just add, like, these books are incredibly well-researched, so it's not even, like, you'll see some books out there that are more just someone's opinion on something, like, you did your research, like... We did, a, I did a case study approach, yeah, and it was published through the Association of Fundraising Professionals out of the U.S., so it was a real journey to be chosen to write them to begin with. And, you know, they were, and my case studies, I, I felt that that's the best way for people to learn. You can have frameworks, but without being able to give the stories and the information behind that really brings it to life, it, it's meaningless. So, yeah, it's, it's a case, both books were used case studies, looked at nonprofits on both sides of the border, and I think really opened people's ideas to new ways of thinking. 
but also brings so much more knowledge to for your consulting business. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So what were the biggest challenges you found with running your own business? So I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, when I started out, I was working on my own. And so it's, it's sort of hard to do that, you know, because I'm a person that likes to bounce ideas off of other people. And then as my business grew, I was able to hire more people. But, you know, with the downturn, um, you know, my business has shifted a bit because there just, you know, isn't as many opportunities as there were, you know, three or four years ago. But so I've, I've learned to really be, have a network of people who I can talk to and bounce ideas off of. And so I think that's the biggest thing is, um, and I'm a, I'm a very self-motivated, self-driven person. So some people say, you know, they have a hard time getting going. I don't have that, but I do like to have people I can bounce ideas off of. So that's, for me, one of being one of the, the, the challenging things. And then trying to do the work, do really, really good work, but also really keep up to date because part of my brand as, as my company is I want to be seen as a thought leader. So you're not a thought leader unless you're doing the what next, thinking about what next, getting involved, reading about what next. So constantly reading, doing your work, constantly looking for the, the, the next contract, uh, and then really keeping up to date on the latest thinking. Yeah. What, in terms of hiring people, because you've yeah. got a team, how do you pick the right person? Because I imagine yeah. it's different than picking a staff member for a larger company where you've got, you know, you've got more people to bounce off of if there's issues or whatnot, but you're a small team. How do, is yeah. it gut? Is it recommendations? You know, it, it's so challenging hiring the right person, but it does come. It's the, the um, oh my God, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. I have in my career hired, interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people because I've had big staffs of, uh, in, in organizations I've worked with. So, you know, I think it's on average people, 20% of your staff will, 10% or 15% of your staff will turn over. So we were constantly interviewing and I've, and I've just learned over doing that and working with really good people to trust your instinct and then to ask the right questions. And I found that a couple of questions are really the important ones. And one of those ones is I ask them, and, I, and I'm just actually list, I'm looking for a new assistant. My assistant just moved to Windsor, so I'm in the process of just finished interviews. So, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, your traditional, you know, what do you do? You know, describe how you would do something. So it's you want to know they have the skills, but then it's also about character. And so I ask, ask people, you know, what have you done that you've been really proud of? And so it's amazing what comes out of that. And then I always also ask people why they want to come and work for me. And if I don't hear passion and commitment and enthusiasm, I don't care how good their skills are, they're not going to be a fit for me. Mm -hmm. So fit is key. You know, at the core is the skills. If they don't have the skills and the experience, it's just not going to be a fit. But most people that you select interview will likely have that. It's then that sort of, do they fit the culture of, of who, who I am and what I stand for as my company? And then, you know, and do, do they fit me? And then are they passionate as the third layer about being part of what I'm doing? Yeah. 
Oh, that's great. Do you know, it's funny. I'll just share this. My interview that I did with Propellus wasn't, was not based on skills at all. It was entirely based on their values. Yeah. And it, it was a question about their five values and sharing an example of how they had translated in my own life. And that's how they figured out fit was if, if we had, co- if they could really see demonstrated common values, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, because that cultural piece is critical. If and on the other hand, you also need to make sure you have diversity. And diversity yeah. doesn't mean just, you know, having somebody who's gay or black or whatever. It means you know cognizant diversity. They're bringing different perspectives to yeah. the table. And is that something that you've struggled to hire for, or do you actively like? Is that top of mind? Because I'm a small shop. That is less about the person that I hire and more about my network of people that I call upon to get advice from. Yeah. Because I, when I'm just a small team of people, I really want people who can work well together, but will challenge me. I, I, I want that. But I really look, especially, I've got some people who I really trust I can ask, who often, my, my husband being one happily, who will look at it with different eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it does seem that running your own business is all, and you also advise on various boards and you do a lot of travel, whether for your work or with your husband, like you wear a lot of hats and you have a lot going on. And I know you said you're someone that enjoys that, like that you've got the get up and go and whatnot, but are there certain things that you need, whether it's practices, tools, or systems that help you stay on track? So I'm a big list maker, so I always make lists, and often I'll make a a week-long list, and then I'll make day lists on what I need to try to do and prioritize them. So those are really important things, and I keep a little pad and pen right by my bed because I always wake up in the night and think, oh, I need to do that. I do that. So I, and I know now I, I have to write it down or I forget. And it's usually a brilliant idea in the middle of the night. Yeah. Sometimes not so brilliant when I read it the next day. But uh, yeah, so making lists really being, you know, and, and have, I have different buckets because I have almost two parts to my business. I have the consulting work that I do that's, you know, helping around strategy, you know, helping around, uh, but I do a lot and uh, around partnerships you know, partnership reviews, helping build partnerships. So that's the consulting side. And then on the, I have a training side too, as you know, where, you know, I do training with the partnership brokers out of the UK. So we do day long training, we do four day training. You know, we did the community of practice. Did you, were you able to come last year when we did that community in Calgary? Uh, no, I was on mat leave. I you think. were on yeah. mat leave, yes. So I'm going to do it again in the in January. So keep Ooh. your eyes open. So just trying to think of, you know, three months from now, four months from now, what do I need to be doing? What do I want to be doing? And therefore, what do I need to do to start to make that happen? And when you say you look three to four months down the road, is that like you're, are you a goal oriented person? Do you set goals for yourself? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah I set goals for myself. And did you do that with your business, like X number of clients or X number of revenue or types of projects or? 
Yeah, I, I've tried that. <laughs> sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't work. But you know, you do have to speak it out loud or write it down in order for it to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So I do set out very specific goals of like as with the downturn in Calgary, I set out some very specific goals to work with companies beyond Calgary. And I have been able to do that. And then with the partnership training, doing training in Toronto, not just in Alberta. So yeah, I definitely set goals for myself. Yeah. What I love about you as a person is that I feel like with the wearing many, many hats, I also feel like I have this multi-passionate side. It all has a common thread, but you give me faith that I can do it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about do it all, but uh, you can make an effort to do things for sure. Yeah. So on the personal side... I have to ask, I absolutely adore the relationship that you and your husband have, and you've been married for many, many years. You travel together. You just, you just seem to have a genuinely lovely relationship. So I'm curious what you would say, and maybe it's how the, both of you feel about it, but what's the key to a strong, long-lasting marriage? Well, I, I shared this question with my husband, so which was so nice, and, and it's so interesting. We just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. Oh, congrats. Thank you. And my, my brother, who was visiting this weekend, and he just emailed me to say, you and Bob have such a lovely relationship, and we get people saying it. It's so nice. But I think, you know, first of all, you know, to choose wisely. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that seems like obvious, but so many people just want to get married. And I just, you know, and you never know for sure, but you, again, it goes back to your gut and knowing who you are and what you really value and want. And, um, you know, and I just got really lucky because I was married young. I got married at 23. And so, you know, <laughs> but, um, and then I think the biggest thing is to really dedicate yourself to each other. and and you know, I am very dedicated to my husband and he is so dedicated to me. So it's, it can't just be you're dedicated to them, but it's got to be a two-way thing. And, you know, and it was really interesting because somebody asked him, this is hilarious, you know, he, how do you, you know, how, what's been the success of your, why have you had such a long marriage? And he said, every day I get up, I think, what can I do to make Jocelyn's life happy? Oh, and I thought, my God, that is the simplest thing. And so I now do that. Like I was very dedicated and maybe I was doing it without thinking about it. But now I really do try to say every day, what can I do to make sure that Bob's life is happy? And I know he does that for me. Yeah. And that is so easy to do and to talk about and commit to trying to do together. Yeah. So in terms of being dedicated to one another, did, was that ever a struggle when you had really young kids? Because, I mean, I'm going through this myself at the moment. Yeah. You know, they take up so much of your time and your energy. No. exhausted at the end of the day. Like, how do you? God. Well, I'm here, to t I'm here to tell you, Victoria, life begins when the dog dies and the kids leave home. <laughs> it is my, my <laughs> it's hard. Oh my God. And my husband, Bob is, is a workaholic. I mean, my God. And he was a workaholic when he was younger, continues to be. So that was hard because I put, I, I pretty much raised our kids. So I, I'm and now had serious jobs and, like, and I had big jobs. Yes. I had serious jobs, but he was supportive. I think, 
you know, you need to get help. And, you know, we used to take every Friday night and we'd put the kids to bed. And, you know, people talk about date night. We didn't think about that 40 years ago, but we would we would always put the kids together and we would have dinner together, just the two of us. Yeah. And I think you have to carve out time and it doesn't have to be going out because that can be expensive to find a babysitter. And it's also tiring. Yeah. So, but just make the time to, you know, have time together, do things together and, and, you know, really commit to it. Because if you don't commit to it, it won't happen. Make it like a habit. It was like our habit every Friday night. And we looked forward to it. Yeah. Do you guys share hobbies or interests? So we, we both, we, we have been runners together. We walk together. We have a great interest in hiking and the outdoors. And so we do a lot of that. We canoe, we swim, we do all of those cuts, cross country ski together. So we do a lot of physical activities together. And um, so those are, those have been really things that have held our, ourselves, but also our family together. We've always been a very active family. I think that really helps. So those would be big things. And then we both are re- readers and, you know, really appreciate each other's opinions on things that we read or that we're thinking about. Yeah. And we, we inspire each other too. That's great. Are just all the activities you were listing, it just sounds to me like you were the perfect poster couple for Parks Canada. Of all the, <laughs> all the, yes, that's yeah, right. Exactly. Yes, that's yeah. right. Definitely. Okay. Well, I'm going to wrap up with the five questions I ask all of our interviewees. Great. What are the things or the projects that get, that get you really fired up in a good way? Okay. My gosh. Well, Oh my goodness. Well, uh, so from a work point of view, I guess the thing that I'm really passionate about is really this whole idea of partnering and doing partnership really, really well. And you might be familiar with the sustainable development goals from the UN that were released and, you know, goal number 17, they've got all of these social goals, you know, uh, economic goals, sustainable development goals all around creating a better world. There's 16 of them and the 17th is partnering. And I feel partnering is so the future for our society, for nonprofits, for companies, for government that I get fired up about really trying to work with individual organizations, with people, helping them be more effective in their partnerships, and really trying to create Canada as a center of excellence for partnering really, really well. So yeah. that's what gets me very, very fired up these days. Anything on in your personal life get you fired up and excited? So, well, I have four little grandchildren, so oh. I love spending time with them and then handing them back to their parents. <laughs> yeah. So My definitely mom says our, the same thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Your mother and I would uh, really have, I'm sure, many ideas of, that we share. So, yeah. yeah, just spending time with them and, and being able to do things that their parents can't. I mean, they need to be, you know, the firm guidelines. And so I can do fun things with them that um, I hope that really will make a difference in their lives. Yeah, I saw my mom the other day with uh, my son and my two nieces together, and she was doing such a great job. And I said, do you know what? You could start a day home. And she said, nope. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) 
I know you're a big reader, so this might be very difficult for you to choose, but what's the most inspiring book you've read in the past few years? Well, that is kind of an easy one. I belong to a book club and we just finished reading the book of joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, which just came out a little over a year ago. I think it was last December. And it was just such a wonderful book that um, looked at, you know, what is life all about? It's really about being joyful and helping yourself be joyful and other people around you. And so what are the barriers to being joyful? And what are the things you need to do to really be joyful? And I don't know, it's it's so funny, because it's, um, you know, kind of one of those things you kind of knew, but they put it in a framework. And it's a book that you can kind of read quickly, but you can go back and dip into when you need a little bit of inspiration. And, and so that was a book that I, I have given probably 20 copies away to family and friends and colleagues because it is such a great book i'm gonna i'm gonna send one to you no i'm gonna buy it for you i'll just get your your address afterwards oh i'm so excited to read it you'll love it do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by so i anybody who knows me really really well knows that i am a huge fan of winston churchill's Mm -hmm. so i quote him all the time so i was trying to think what would be a good quote from winston churchill so my, I think a really good one to leave your, your listeners with is fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. I absolutely love that. I love and we, and you know, in, in the book of joy, one of the ways to be joyful is you have to have courage, you know, and you look at Brian Brown. I don't know if you follow her. Oh, I love her. Yes. I mean, she talks about that the courage to put yourself out, the courage to be vulnerable. So I feel that to keep on going, there's so much of life that's courage and it is a decision. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So personal life, work life, whatnot, what is the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? So I was thinking about that and and this so stands out for me was my music teacher when I was about 15 or 16 years old and I was studying for my grade eight Royal Conservatory of Music and I went for my lesson. Of course, I hadn't practiced or practiced enough and she sat me down and she's like, you know, you're going into your exam in two months and I can show you how to, how to play the notes. I can show you how to put the fingering, but there's only going to be one person in that room and there's only going to be one person who passes who will have the capacity for you to either pass or fail and that's you. And it was like, oh my God, she's right. And it just turned me around. It seems so funny because I'm sure my parents have said to me, well, you've got to do the homework. But it made me realize that if I was going to be successful, there's only going to be one person who was going to make that happen. And that was me. Yeah. Sometimes we need that outside voice yes. from our family to say that though, right? 100%. And it's made me speak up a couple of times because I know that sometimes it's a stranger that actually can make you think differently. Yeah. Oh, that's She amazing. wasn't a stranger. She was a teacher, but still. Yeah. <laughs> but still, no, that's, it's, it's tough love, but true love, right? Like, yes. It, yeah. Yes. So Jocelyn, my final question for you, what does it mean to you to live your best life? I guess, you know, it starts at the core of, of love and that starts with loving and appreciating yourself 
and those around you and, you know, your community, your city, your country, and giving your all that you have to that uh, and, and doing it with, with laughter and kindness and courage. Oh, Jocelyn, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. And thank you so much, Victoria. I absolutely love the story that Jocelyn was sharing from her piano teacher about if you want to be successful in your life, there's really only one person that can make it happen, and that's yourself. And it's one of those things that when you're having a really rough time or going through difficult periods in your life, that it can be hard to remember that. And 100%, I get that I'm speaking from a place of privilege. I get that. But I do also believe that, you know, luck aside, how you're, how you grow up and the privilege that you inherently have aside, if you want to be successful, you do have to make choices and take action and make it happen because nothing happens when you're sitting on your butt and you're watching reality TV. Trust me, I have tried it. I wish that I could make things happen while I watch The Real Housewives of wherever. But I know that the only way I get these podcasts done or the only way I finish writing my book or the only way I do X, Y, and Z is if I actually put in the work and make it happen. Nobody can do that except for me. And it reminds me of another quote uh, from someone that I follow called Rachel Hollis. And she says that nobody cares about your dreams as much as you do. And what she means by that is not that there aren't people to support you, not that you don't have a community and people that care about you. But at the end of the day, the only person who cares about achieving that thing that you dream of achieving is you. And so if you're the only one that cares about it truly, deeply, then you are the only one that's going to make it happen. So you've got to go and do the work and make it happen. So that's enough on my soapbox. Now, Jocelyn talked about the Book of Joy. So she so kindly sent it to me and I really can't wait to start reading it. I have also seen that it's on Audible, so you can listen to it as well. And if you're wanting a free 30-day Audible trial, I highly recommend you go to audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life for a free 30-day trial. Audiobooks have changed my life. I can't say this enough. I have read more books this year than I think I've ever read before. And I've also been busier in my life than I've ever been before. So, you know, audiobooks make things happen. So aside from that, I just again, a big thank you to Jocelyn for joining us on the podcast. I'm so pleased to have her. I count her as, as a dear friend and mentor and have been so glad to know her. Now, next time on the podcast, we're going to be joined by Kylie Toe of The Chic Geek, and we're going to be talking all about women in technology, starting your own nonprofit, and how to figure out your own path in life when what you want to do isn't clear or apparent. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Now, if you are not subscribed to the to the podcast, I highly recommend that you go and do that on Podbean or on iTunes. That way you can make sure never to miss an episode. And if you have enjoyed this episode or previous episodes, please go on iTunes and rate and review it. It makes such a difference. It helps other people to find the podcast. And especially when we're all competing for what we're doing with our time, right? For people to be able to go and see a review and see that this podcast is worthwhile to many of you will make them feel that it's going to be worthwhile to them. You know, they'll feel a little bit better about downloading that first one and then hopefully they'll be as hooked as you are. (laughs) So 
Have a fantastic couple of weeks, guys. Until next time, take care.